Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, New Jersey remains under a state of emergency as residents are hit with yet another snowstorm, up to four to six inches and icy roads when all is said and done. Also, critics call on lawmakers to skip a planned mission to Israel, billed as an opportunity to get first-hand accounts of the October 7th attacks from Israeli communities. I don't think it's right for legislators to be going on an Israel-sponsored, basically propaganda trip at this point. Um, you know, a hundred children are being killed every day in Gaza. Plus, breaking down the Port Fire investigation, after days of emotional testimony, what are the key findings from last summer's deadly Newark Port Fire? So many little things had to go wrong that just compounded into everything that happened. And fighting opioid addiction, harm reduction training to help spot the signs of a drug overdose. One of the areas that I always focus on is trying to erase the stigma surrounding substance use because a lot of times that's why people don't seek treatment. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJ PBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Friday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. No more complaining about snowless winters in New Jersey. The latest winter storm hitting the state picked up intensity throughout the afternoon, especially in central and south Jersey, dropping three to four inches of fresh snow by one o'clock today, according to the National Weather Service. Totals will likely be closer to four to six inches once the system fully tapers off. Forecasters say some pockets of Monmouth County, they could see even higher totals and you should keep your shovels and ice scrapers ready. Schools and businesses across the state were closed or shut down early today. Take a look at the Great Falls in Patterson, New Jersey's very own ice scape. Mist from the falls creating a frozen wonderland there. Even though snow wasn't as heavy in North Jersey, Matt Lee from the National Weather Service office in Mount Holly says all residents should be extra careful come tomorrow morning. Beginning tomorrow with temperatures crashing overnight, uh, we're certainly concerned about roads refreezing, especially if they haven't been treated yet. Uh, we can certainly see some roads freezing again from temperatures dropping down into the teens. As we wake up tomorrow morning, we're going to notice two things. It's going to be very, very cold with temperatures waking up around uh, in the teens and close to the single digits uh, across northern locations of New Jersey. And then it's going to be very windy. We're expecting wind gusts uh, upwards of 20 to 30 miles an hour. Uh, and wind chill values in the morning in the single digits across the state. In the Middle East, the communications blackout in Gaza has surpassed the one-week mark. It's the longest stretch of blackout since the war began. Humanitarian workers say that's adding to the difficulty of aid operations. It also means Palestinians aren't able to reach their loved ones. 
A statement on Thursday from Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is adding to tensions with the U.S. after Netanyahu said the idea of creating a Palestinian state in the future, that's something the U.S. says it favors, would clash with the security of Israel. At war with Hamas since the surprise attacks on October 7th. And according to the United Nations, nearly 25,000 Palestinians have been killed in the conflict. Roughly half are children. Reports from those on the ground say the situation in Gaza is devastating, with allegations mounting against Israel claiming war crimes and genocide are being committed. This Sunday, a group of 22 New Jersey state lawmakers, educators and other local leaders are leaving on a mission trip to Israel, being organized by the Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West in what the group says is an attempt to help community leaders better understand the crisis. But those advocating for a ceasefire call the trip propaganda. They're urging elected officials not to attend. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas has the latest. This coming Sunday, a delegation of 22 New Jerseyans, including members of the state assembly, educators, and other community members, will go on a mission trip to Israel. Assemblyman Paul Kanitra is one of them. I want to know numbers. I want to know figures. I want to know timelines. I want to know plans for the future. Um, and, and I want to just dig in as deeply as possible. Kanitra says he wants to walk away with a better perspective, but some here in New Jersey say that perspective is likely to be one-sided because the trip, which is organized by the Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West, is sponsored by the Israeli government and will have a very controlled message. I suspect that on the trip, the sponsored trip, uh, they're only going to see and hear one side. There's a reason they want you to see that controlled agenda, because they're hoping you will come back and act as their uh, you know, sort of propaganda flax. Linda Scherzer, who coordinated the trip for the Jewish Federation, says while they're not taking people to Gaza, which is a closed region, calling it a propaganda trip is just wrong. We're doing our best to present the complexity of what is going on in the region by showing the story through the perspective of Israeli Jews and Arabs who have all lost family members and been affected in numerous ways. But Stephen Shalom pushes back on their motives. Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West um, acts as if it is the Jewish voice in the state of New Jersey, but there are lots of Jewish peace groups that take a different point of view. Lots of Jews no longer support the blind support for Israel position. The Jewish voice for peace of northern and of central New Jersey joined with If Not Now in Highland Park to send a letter asking legislators not to participate in what they're calling a propaganda trip. Former Assemblywoman Sadaf Jaffer will be disappointed if any of her former Democratic colleagues decide to go. I don't think it's right for legislators to be going on an Israel-sponsored, basically, propaganda trip at this point. A hundred children are being killed every day in Gaza. We have 12,000 children who have been killed overall. More than 23,000 people killed total. And residents in New Jersey have lost thousands of family members. And I personally know people who've lost personally, tens of family members each. So I think it's a signal to those people that their perspective and the lives of their families don't matter. The trip will not include any meetings with families of Palestinians killed in the IDF response in Gaza. Learning um, about Israel and Israeli Jews uh, is obviously, um, for anybody who wants to learn about the country, is, is a good thing. The problem is that there's not the same um, understanding or same time amount of time spent um, about 
uh, when, it, when it comes to Palestinians, uh, even, even Palestinian citizens of Israel. As for whether Kanitra feels that he's participating in a propaganda trip. As someone who's traveled to over 100 countries, I'm pretty confident in my ability to separate fact from fiction and to uh, ask important questions and to formulate my own opinion when I'm there. I've traveled extensively throughout the Middle East. I've traveled extensively throughout the Arab world. So I think I'm bringing to this trip a perspective that that few may actually have. Will you attempt in any way to hear the perspectives of Palestinians who have been affected by Israel's response or any other Jewish groups there on the ground who oppose Israel's response? I plan on talking to as many people as possible while I'm over there. Uh, I know that we'll be talking with Arabs and Jews alike, and I think that that's an important component of this trip. The trip will last three days, and so far, no one has been deterred from going. I'm Joanna Gagas, and Spotlight News. Talk of using an old state psychiatric hospital to help process undocumented migrants is causing an uproar, even without a formal plan in the works. This week, Hunterdon County Commissioner Board Director Jeff Cole revealed the Murphy administration is considering the old Hagedorn Hospital in Glen Gardner as a potential site. Earlier this month, migrants being bused to New York City from Texas and other border states stopped first at train stations across New Jersey, and some local officials balked. Now they're speaking out about the potential use of the rural facility, saying housing migrants there will overwhelm resources like fire, police, and EMS agencies. In a statement, Republican Senator Doug Steinhardt, who represents the area, said the state's communities are already stretched too thin, blaming President Biden for ignoring the immigration crisis and Governor Murphy for declaring New Jersey a sanctuary state. Congressman Tom Kane echoed those thoughts in a similar statement. The Murphy administration hasn't confirmed or denied the plan. That topic is one of many New Jersey's gubernatorial hopefuls will have to tackle as they eye the 2025 race. In a surprise move this week, former Republican Lieutenant Governor Kim Guadano endorsed Democrat Steve Phillips' bid for the seat. Guadano is now a registered independent and previously supported the Jersey City mayor. Now she's backing him for governor in an increasingly crowded field, which includes Republican Jack Cittarelli, who made an unsuccessful go of it back in 2021. Cittarelli spoke with senior political correspondent David Cruz for this week's episode of Reporters Roundtable about the state of the GOP in New Jersey and whether he'd support Donald Trump for president. Listen, I'm going to continue to go out there and talk about how to fix New Jersey and why I'm the candidate that provides the best opportunity to win in November. I think that uh, our 2021 race, when we won seven seats in the state legislature, uh, 150 seats at the municipal and county level, a couple hundred board of education seats, that I'm somebody who has coattails because of the energy I bring to the campaign and the way I talk about the kitchen table issues. All right. Um, is the state GOP getting more red, though? Uh, and where are you on the spectrum? Are you red? Are you purple or blue? I'm New Jersey, David. No, no. I'm all about New Jersey. You used that one on me a few times before. Well, if you keep asking the same question, I'll keep giving you the honest answer. But listen, it all depends on the issue. I, I suppose there are some issues on which I'm considered extremely conservative. Some might consider me liberal on other positions. I'm about New Jersey. I'm about fixing problems. I'm about making the state uh, better so people feel confident this is where they can find the job of their dreams, own the home of their dreams, raise their family, retire here. That's not the way people feel today. So I believe that uh, we can do a better job in making people feel confident that New Jersey be their home as it's always been for the Cheddarellis 
for the past 100 years, and I'm not going anywhere. This is last home. Time, last time I saw you was at the League of Municipalities. I talked to a lot of Republicans over that uh, couple of days, and there was some soul-searching uh, that they said was going on. Is your party still searching for its soul as you head into this gubernatorial season and U.S. Senate season? What got, what got all the headlines last November were the legislative losses. We gave back all the seats we won in 2021 and then some. But the fact of the matter is the Republican Party had some really great victories at the local level. Look what we did in Cumberland County. Look what we did in Atlanta County. We won in Essex County. We took back the mayor in the county seat of Somerset. We won 15 seats in Bergen County. There were some so really the, the we victories won seats in underneath we, the victories underneath really those legislative races wins. is what you're looking at. I'm sorry. I'm saying that you're saying local wins. Uh, I'm saying it's well, the victory yeah. underneath the legislative races that you took some political comfort in. I do. So I mean, I don't see the glass as totally empty. I see it half full in terms of the victories we achieved um, all around the state at the municipal and county level. All Sadly, right. we were not so successful at the legislative level. And we could probably tire and spend an entire segment talking about why that happened. Um, but that's another listen, segment. I, though. I think that people are very disappointed with what they see in Joe Biden. I think they're disappointed with what they see in Phil Murphy. They know there's still a lot of problems that need to be fixed here. And my job is to tell them that if you want change, you got to make a change. All right. I have run out of time. I have one more question. I need a one word answer. Are you a Donald Trump supporter? I won't be voting for Joe Biden. And um, but listen, I want to be governor and there's a good chance Donald Trump might be the president. I have an obligation to work with the president, whoever he or she may be. Gotcha. On behalf of the 9.3 um, million people that live in this state. That's more than one word. Uh, it was either a yes or a no. That was really your two options. I have an obligation to work with the president, whoever he or she might be, David, and I won't be voting for Joe Biden. You can see the full interview with Jack Cittarelli on Reporters Roundtable Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 10 a.m. And make sure you watch Chatbox this weekend where David talks to Democratic Senate candidate Larry Hamm. That's Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 right here on NJPBS. A week of public testimony on last summer's fatal cargo ship fire at Port Newark finally came to a close this week. The witnesses ranged from emotional testimony by firefighters who were alongside Wayne Brooks Jr. and Augusto Akabu, the two Newark firefighters who were killed battling the blaze, to maritime experts. All of the testimony offered gritty details into that day, and our reporter Ted Goldberg was there listening to that testimony for the last six of those sessions. Ted, good to have you on. Uh, a lot of takeaways from this. There were some items that we knew going in that, of course, these were firefighters who were charged with overseeing this port, but they didn't necessarily have the tools and the training they needed. What were the big takeaways? So not only was lack of training an issue, as many people testified, there was just a sequence of events that led to this. So many little things had to go wrong that just compounded into everything that happened. We start with you know, a recall notice on a Jeep Wrangler, which people wouldn't, you may not think about too much if you're not driving an OA Jeep Wrangler, but, you know, has a transmission issue where, you know, it's, it could possibly be leaking hot transmission fluid and you wouldn't think about that, but that's how this fire started was. And we should remind people this was the Jeep that was being used to push uh, a lot of other vehicles that were on this cargo ship, about 1,200. Yes, and the, fix, the corrective action for this was to, uh, 
basically reroute a dashboard light to tell you, okay, don't drive this Jeep right now. But the, as someone testified, as a lasher testified, the lights were not working on this car. So it starts from there. And then once the fire spreads, the firefighters get there, there is a language barrier because it's an Italian cargo ship. And because of the way the ship is laid out with the amount of steel, the walkie-talkies, the radio transmissions, it's very garbled. It's very very difficult for people to understand each other. A map is brought out, produced by the crew, and the firefighters are having trouble understanding this. This and is the first time they're seeing this map. Yes, because, and again, the in-person training for shipboard fires, they hadn't had that since 2014. And one of the experts who testified this week was William Burkett. He's the director of the Maritime Incident Response Team at the Port of Virginia. And he said, you know, there was a similar situation he had dealt with years back where a decision was made because there were no human lives at risk to just let the ship burn. What are, what are we risking to save this ship? Here I've almost, in, here I've injured some folks. Luckily for us, it wasn't fatalities. So what are we risking to save, all right? And I can't speak for the others, but I can tell you for the spirit of Norfolk, there was no life hazard. If we continue to flow water inside the ship, we would sink it at a Navy pier, which is not a good thing. Yeah, so there we hear that they were really talking about weighing the risk of fighting this fire and uh, or letting it burn, and the risk seemed to be fighting it, uh, at least according to that testimony. Why didn't these firefighters, though, have that type of institutional knowledge with them? Well, the other issue here is, as many people testified, there were no lives at risk. A lot of folks testified that the firefighters knew the crew was off the ship. As for why there was no specific training for this kind of thing offered to the firefighters, it's a lot of people are upset and saying, why aren't the firefighters trained for this sort of thing more frequently? Well, part of it is because cargo ship fires are not something the Newark Fire Department responds to on a regular basis. And the training for this sort of thing, it's expensive. And it's very, uh, it, it's, it takes a lot of time. And it's hard to get all of your firefighters to train for something at the same time. As William Burkett testified, you know, it's not always as easy as just, let's schedule training for our department's firefighters. Well, it has to be understood that the fire departments just aren't here to train on shipboard firefighters. They have to do EMS, they have to do hazmat, and you got your other technical rescue. They all have staffing issues, right? And, and there's no such thing as free training. Wow. I mean, that's a line that I think is going to stay with a lot of people after this. Where does it go from here? Is the investigation over? Are these all of the witnesses that this joint board wanted to hear from? So there are more witnesses, but because of logistical issues, they were not able to come to union this week or last week. So the investigation continues. This hearing, in a kind of quasi sort of way, will continue because they're going to be called into union and they're going to speak on this sort of thing in the future. But the investigation is still ongoing. The Coast Guard and the National Transportation Safety Board are going to be looking at this. They're going to be speaking to more witnesses. Once they are done with their investigation, they will be issuing a report, but there is no concrete timetable on that when, on when that will come out. Of course, uh, families uh, of the firefighters who died and, of course, all of those who were involved will be waiting uh, to see that report. Ted Goldberg, thanks for staying on this for the six days of the hearing. Great reporting. Good to have you on. Thank you.
He's not resigning, but Camden's embattled school board president will take a leave of absence while a sex abuse civil lawsuit against him plays out. Governor Murphy called for 56-year-old Wasim Mohammed to immediately step down, saying the allegations against him are appalling and heinous in nature. Mohammed is accused of sexually assaulting his former student starting in 1994 while he was her teacher at the Cooper B. Hatch Middle School. The lawsuit alleges the abuse continued for years when the girl entered high school. Muhammad's attorney denied the allegations but said he will step away from his role and won't have contact with other advisory board members or the administration during the trial. The troubled school system has operated under a state takeover since 2013. The board has no real teeth. Members can't make or enact changes, but they do wield influence within the district. In our Spotlight on Business report, we take a look behind the curtain at spending for the Rutgers University Athletic Department. According to NJ Advance Media, the department's latest financial report shows Rutgers is raking in more cash than ever as part of the Big Ten Conference, but it's also spending even more to keep up with the competition. The 2023 fiscal report submitted to the NCAA shows Rutgers spent a record $153 million for that academic year, which is about an 11% bump from a year prior. The budget has more than doubled since Rutgers first joined the Big Ten. The biggest expense is coaching salaries, but the department also set a record for revenue, more than $125 million last year, thanks in large part to revenue from Big Ten media rights. Despite that, though, the athletic department is still running a deficit of $54 million. On Wall Street, stocks climbed today thanks to a tech-led rally. Here's how the markets closed for the week. And tune in this weekend to an encore episode of NJ Business Beat with Raven Santana. She talks to Newark Mayor Ross Baraka about his economic vision for the city. She also sits down with city leaders in fashion, arts, and more to discuss how Newark supports its small business owners. Watch it Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 a.m. right here on NJPBS. this month, Governor Murphy signed legislation expanding access to what are known as harm reduction supplies, items like clean syringes, naloxone, and other opioid antidotes. The harm reduction method was long seen as controversial, but research shows it's a more effective and compassionate way to help people dealing with substance abuse. Melissa Rose Cooper takes a look at one training program in South Jersey teaching communities how they can help. So harm reduction embraces meeting people where they are and helping them get to where they want to be instead of saying this is the benchmark that you have to meet. Yet is an approach Heather Ogden says many people do not fully understand when it comes to treating substance use disorders. As someone who remains in long-term recovery, Ogden knows the struggle firsthand. Traditionally, we tend to um, encourage people into a particular pathway of recovery. We kind of prescribe what they need to be doing. Harm reduction as a philosophy is more Rogerian centered. It's uh, client centered, it's patient first, and we look at each person as the authority on themselves. So 
when most people hear harm reduction, they think of the methods of harm reduction, which is things like overdose prevention sites, naloxone, uh, syringe service programs. Um, but it's so much more than that because it's really just a way of interacting with people and accepting that they are the authority on themselves and that all pathways are good pathways. Now she's teaching others how to effectively interact with patients, hosting this training at Recovery Centers of America in Mays Landing. The inpatient and outpatient facility offers a variety of services to help those struggling with addiction get back on their feet. So we have, like I mentioned, detox level of care. So if somebody were to enter into our detox, that's typically for alcohol, opiates, or benzodiazepines. So they're medically detoxed. They're given a withdrawal taper. While they're tapering down off the substance, they're also given comfort meds to make sure that they are safe and that they are comfortable while they're going through that. And then they also have group services. Corey Ritchie is the CEO for Recovery Centers of America at Lighthouse. She says substance abuse tends to get a bad rap and people don't often realize there could be underlying issues contributing to the disorder. A lot of people believe that substance use disorder can be a disease of choice. It's not a disease of choice, it's a disease just like any other disease. Um, one of the areas that I always focus on is trying to erase the stigma surrounding substance use because a lot of times that's why people don't seek treatment should be no different than somebody who maybe needs to go to the hospital because their diabetic medication isn't working. It really shouldn't be any different just because this is a disease of the brain and it's not a disease that people can make sense around medically. Opioid and fentanyl use continue to be major issues impacting New Jersey families. State data shows there were more than 2,300 suspected overdose deaths between January 1st and November 30th last year. Ogden says creating an individualized recovery plan is critical to a patient's success. One method doesn't work well for everybody. So um, we have tried many different things over the years to get people into recovery. But we realized that recovery means something different to every person that says they're in recovery. So we want to embrace that because recovery is really about improving your life on your terms. And as more harm reduction centers open across the state, Ogden wants people living with a substance use disorder to know their safe places of support so no one has to be in this fight alone. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. That's going to do it for us this week, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Stay safe and warm this weekend. We'll see you right back here on Monday. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets. The PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.